Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Anyway, hopefully, um, actually, I hope it is all working properly. My mother wouldn't be happy with me saying hopefully, hopefully. To travel hopefully is better than to arrive. That's when you're supposed to use the word hopefully. Otherwise, you're supposed to say I hope. Anyway, I hope Facebook is working. I don't know how I, I can't check on my phone because that's my phone. I guess I could log into Facebook on myself, but I don't know, that might give me a funny echo, would it? Anyway, um, got some questions here tonight. If you've got any questions, Corinne is already showing, making herself known on Instagram. So we know that Instagram's working. Gotta be honest, Instagram's never a problem. Uh, Facebook, often a problem. Um, anyway. Oh. Yes, that looks like me live. 50 seconds. Yes, it is working. Okay, well, I better turn it off now because it's probably going to mess me up. So, um, good. So, here we go. Uh, if you've got a question, just feel free to chip in. Yes, you're live on Facebook. There you go. Thank you, Corinne. Um, feel free to chip in with said question. If you haven't got a question, sit back, relax, because I've got this covered, okay? I have got questions of my own preordained in the last week that people have asked the first question that people have asked is this one here i'm doing that for facebook viewers because my software is working i, I think this is the thing that wasn't working last week can't do that on on uh, instagram but anyway i'll read it out actually this goes on to the podcast every week as well so because i'm going to I can't see it on the podcast so i better read it out is it okay to have braces before having general anesthetic surgery so this is a patient who is having surgery next year um, and is going to have braces. And my, my answer is that you can have surgery if you've got braces, absolutely fine. No problem at all to have surgery with braces. Now, this person is, I think she's having surgery in February or something like that. So what I said is like when they do this, when, when we do the surgery, they put something in your mouth. They put like a, like a plastic thing in your mouth um, with like a pipe that, helps you breathe um and so there's always a risk they might sort of damage your braces they might sort of damage your teeth so all things considered if it would be okay to wait if it was me i would probably wait before having braces um i mean i would probably wait until after the surgery to have my braces if if it if it wasn't a big deal to wait so if it was a big deal to wait no problem at all have the braces now but the only thing is you don't want to have the braces done all properly and then they knock them or something i don't know I don't know what they would do they might knock them all as i say i don't think it's a big issue and, I, and certainly someone someone coming to surgery with braces the anesthetist wouldn't be thinking oh my goodness me they've got braces it's absolutely fine but i think given that this person is asking the question and recently um and is due to have braces done soon I would say, you know, if it's just a question of delaying it a couple of months, I would delay it. Um, the way that might be. Uh, Bex has got a question. 
Hey, I'm in Istanbul. It's not a question, more of a statement. Uh, long time no see. I'm in Istanbul right now, waiting for surgery, breast reduction. Look at that. This is, we're going live across the globe. We are currently live in Istanbul. Bex, uh, what's the weather like in Istanbul? So, um, good good luck. I mean, you literally waiting for surgery in Istanbul. Is that that's the implication? Good luck, Bex. Good luck. We're all rooting for you. Um, and um, say hello to Istanbul for, for us. Um, oh, it's cold. Oh, is it cold? I don't know. I assumed it wouldn't be cold in Istanbul, but there you go. It's not too bad here, actually. A lot of rain, though. Oh, shocker today. Um, so... Hakim has said something. I don't know. If, I don't know. Assalamualaikum. Not sure what that is. Hakim, sorry. I'm going to gloss over that. Yes, I'm here. Well, Bex, um, good. Go for it. Good luck. Um, and uh, do your best. Yeah, in there. Well done. Well done. Um, so, what we got here is we've got a question that says, can I have a cyst slash lipoma removed if I am taking cloppy doggerel? Good old cloppy doggerel. I think um, I think the professional, I think the proper doctors called it clopidogrel, but um, clearly it's cloppy doggerel. You can see how it's how it's spelled. It's cloppy doggerel, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, cloppy doggerel, clopidogrel, whatever. Um, the answer is yes. It's a very uh, relevant question because the um, cloppy doggerel does thin the blood and it will increase your risk of bleeding. So I say the answer is yes. The answer is yes if it's me. You have to speak, ch check with your surgeon is the answer to that question, really. Check with your surgeon because some surgeons will be worried about um, blood thinners like uh, clopidogrel. doggerel. Um, the problem is that you're taking the clopidogrel, I'll, I'll say it properly, uh, for a reason, presumably a heart problem. Usually it's a heart problem, um, you know, heart attack, something like that, um, because it will thin the blood and make the blood less likely to clot in the heart, which is what a heart attack is, basically, a myocardial infarction. It's a blood clot in the heart. And so the clopidogrel will reduce your risk of the blood clotting within the heart and reduce your risk of getting a heart attack. So uh, that's clearly a good thing. And so if you're going to stop it, you've got to think what you're going to do. Are you going to use something else or is it OK to stop it? Are you not that high a risk of having a heart attack or whatever? So it's a bit of a, a thing that you need to think about if you're going to stop it. For me, I think the risk of bleeding for having a, a skin operation like a cyst or a lipoma is pretty low. And if you do get problems with bleeding, they're usually relatively simple to deal with, a lot more simple to deal with than a blood clot in your heart. Um, so the balance of risk is in favor of keeping the clopidogrel going if you are having skin surgery. So I haven't got a problem with people taking clopidogrel or aspirin. Same thing. It's not the same thing. It's a it's a different thing, but it's the same principle. Aspirin thins your blood and reduces your risk of um, clotting. So. But again, I think some surgeons are worried about aspirin and, and clopidogrel and, and blood thinners, but I don't worry about them and I let you carry on with them on a personal level. So that's my view. Um, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, my God. Right. OK, it's kicked off. It's kicked off. Okay. <laughs> We've got comments. Losing control. Corinne, I've said it before. I need to. Um, 
Right. I found you on. I found you via Google of private surgeon near me. Coming up, the private surgeon near me. Good to hear. Um, apparently, you are the only plastic surgeon that has their own clinic. Why don't others have their own clinic? Oh, lots of plastic surgeons. I'm the only plastic surgeon who specializes in breast surgery who has their own clinic. Um, so lots of, well, I say lots, more and more plastic surgeons are getting their own clinic now. Um, I've had mine for probably about, um, I don't know, more than 10 years. Um, so most plastic surgeons, in fact, most doctors work out of hospitals. They work in a private hospital and um, in, you know, work in the theatres and, the and in the outpatients. So I opened my own clinic in 2013. So how long is that? Oh, it's not, it's not more than 10, it's 10, nine years, isn't it? God, it feels like longer. Um, and so, but more and more surgeons are doing it. The difference with me is that I just pretty much only do breast and body contouring. I don't do any facial surgery, don't do any Botox, don't do any fillers, don't do any lasers. So um, that is the thing that I specialize in, um, uh, cosmetic breast surgery. Um, but yeah, but I think it's quite, quite normal for plastic surgeons not to have their own clinic to be honest with you because it's quite a big thing to have your own clinic and staff and what have you when you don't really have to it's it's, it's quite acceptable to to work in uh, in the um in the private hospitals oh here we go what differentiates you from a larger surgery company for example transform or maya um well i I do have other surgeons working with me at the clinic, but there's only a few of us. Small group, small team, um, try and look after patients, community feel. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, Transform Maya, the big companies do a lot of work. And so if they, so that, you know, there must be something good about them because they're doing a lot of work. They're doing the majority of work actually probably in this country. Um, so what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to do my own thing. So I, I don't really know how they do things and I don't really know how they, how they operate. So I can't really say how they operate, but what I can say is how I operate. And the reason I actually got my clinic back in 2012, I could do the whole thing on this was because I found it a little bit, um, sort of hit and miss the secretaries. This is even the private hostels, the receptionist, not so much the secretary, the receptionist, the clinic nurses, you know, you've got some really great ones. You've got some which are a bit like, a mm, bit, miserable and um you know if you had a problem after surgery you ring up and say i've got a problem my wound's a bit red and they say oh it's all fine it's okay don't worry about it and then you ring up a few days later and say it's a bit worse and they'd say what what's a bit worse you'd get a different nurse you know when you wrote phoned up a few days later so i didn't like that that sort of continuity and stuff and i and i always felt that was part of the surgery for me you know all this sort of before care and aftercare is part of the surgery i've always said i think the aftercare is as important as the surgery that's one of the sort of founding principles of my clinic so that's why i opened my clinic because it's a small team there's only about five of us work there so we you know when you ring when you meet us and when you have surgery with us if you ring up you'll sort of always get the same person so a bit of continuity and make you feel like you're looked after and um, never really discharge anyone keep them on the books forever if you've ever got any problems any issues you can always come back so that's what i'm trying to do maybe they're trying to do that as well so i'm not saying they're not i'm just saying that's what i'm trying that's how i'm i'm trying to build my practice as a sort of community feel you're part of something part of the family type thing oh god facebook's got questions um chantelle i admire your work one day maybe i'll be having an mr and tt chantelle I'm here for you if you need me. MR, I know what that is now. That's muscle repair. 
um, not Mr. I've volunteered on many occasions. I know you have, um, Corinne. <laughs> um, right, what have we got here? What's going on? Bex is in uh, Sidani. Do you have a certain weight to get a tummy tuck? I struggle with hypothyroidism, so stuck at 11 stone. I'm five foot two, but I have loose skin from childbirth. Good question, Sidani. The main thing, the main criteria for tummy tuck and weight is to be stable and comfortable with your weight. That's the number one main important thing. So in a way, it kind of doesn't matter what your weight is. If you're not stable and comfortable with your weight, you should really get stable and comfortable with your weight prior to having any kind of body contouring, not just tummy tuck, breast lifts, breast reductions, um, thighs, arms, whatever. Um, so ideally, you want to be stable and comfortable with your weight. Now, in terms of the specific weight, there are uh, reasons to get your weight lower. And we normally work on, on a BMI, BMI is body mass index, kilograms per meter squared. So your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. So um, BMI of 30 is where we normally work out because when they've done some studies, they've said that if your BMI is above 30, you're higher risk of complications. So if your BMI is above 30, then um, you are going to have a higher risk of complications than if your BMI is below 30. So a lot of people will say, you know, you've got to have a BMI below 30. I'm not so strict on the exact BMI. And even if your BMI is below 30, if you want to lose weight, I would say it's better to lose weight first. Um, but that's kind of like the ballpark you want to be looking at. Uh, but uh, I totally understand what you're saying with in terms of struggling with your weight and hypothyroid is not going to help. Um, of course, if you're on treatment for your hypothyroid, maybe that's help. That might help. So you'd want to be stable with your hypothyroid treatment, um, your thyroxine or whatever. Um, but that's kind of so I don't have a specific weight, but if you are, if you push, if you push me, I'd say BMI 30, whatever that is for your, you can work that out. If you put in your height and you want to know BMI, there'll be like BMI calculators, which will say, this is my height. What would my BMI 30 be? Um, that's helpful. Um, Bex, it was you that inspired me to go for it, JP. JP. <laughs> JJ, is that me? Right. Well, good, Bex. Good, glad I inspired you. Sidani, oh, here you go. Bex is answering the question. They like you to be, be below BMI 30. Look at that, Sidani. That will never happen then. Okay. <laughs> right. That's the problem. That's why I don't insist on that because um, some people say, look, it's never going to happen. Um, so I would say, look, I see people on a case by case basis, but nevertheless, Bex is right. 30 is what a lot of people talk about. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Uh, Sarah, would Saxenda be contraindicated for surgery stroke anastasia or have to be stopped before surgery? Oh, God, I've been hit with one. I've been hit with one. Mid, what's Saxenda, Sarah? What's Saxenda? Right. Open another website page. They will never know. This is why I need backup. Saxenda. Um... Weight loss medication? How Saxenda works? Right, so Saxenda is some kind of weight loss thing. I don't think so. I don't think it'd be contraindicated, Sarah. The only thing is, if it is a weight loss treatment and you are currently losing weight, Jackie, um, that would be a thing. You know, you want to you want to get your weight right first. But if it's uh, in terms of 
contraindications for surgery. And I think anesthesia, I'm assuming that's anesthesia, uh, it would be things like steroids and blood thinners, um, diabetic medication. So I don't think that in itself would be an issue. But we'd always talk to the anesthetist, you know, you'd have a pre-admission and we'd, if there's a specific thing that you're worried about, we would talk to the anesthetist, say, look, this patient's on this. And um, But the, from my point of view, I would just say to you, look, if you're losing weight, I would say to you, are you stable and comfortable? And are you, you know, stable with that? That would be a relative contraindication if you were if you weren't stable with your weight. Uh, what we got here? Uh, I've oh, there you go. Uh, v and her v, v, v and her VSG. I'm researching offshore and UK-based surgery. Why does the cost differ so much? Why would you suggest UK versus offshore surgery? Do you offer discounts on multiple surgeries? Okay, well, okay, well, you know what V and her VSG? I've written about that in my book. Um, and again, a bit like the transform and stuff. Um, it's hard for me to say specifically about having surgery overseas because I don't know about Prague and Turkey and Istanbul and goodness knows where, all the places people have surgery. And the thing I normally say about people going abroad for surgery is that I don't advise it. And for two reasons. First reason is, yes, it's a lot cheaper, significantly cheaper. I don't know how they do it. When you look at the insurance we've got, uh, we have to have insurance if there's any issues or, or what have you. Uh, we pay an awful lot of money in insurance and that, you know, we, we just couldn't do it in this country for the costs they're charging. So that's a bit, are they insured? I don't, you know, are they insured? Are they trained? We, I don't know how to, thank you. I don't know how to tell you about the training of surgeons in other countries. I can tell you about the surgeons, surgeons in this country. I'll tell you how to look out for it. Basically, FRCS Plast after their name has is or have been a uk um, consultant plastic surgeon is kind of what you're looking for but it varies in different countries i can't so that's number one point number two point is the aftercare you know you what i would worry about the aftercare um you can't say that surgeons in overseas are bad and surgeons in the uk are good clearly that's not true there's a lot of good surgeons all over the world in lots of different places but um it's hard to know about the facilities the the, the, you know, again, in this country, we have the CQC, the Care Quality Commission, which makes sure all our, our clinics and the, the hospitals are all have protocols for infection control and auditing work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that all costs money as well. I'm not saying they don't have it there. It's just I don't know what to tell you. If you said, how do I know if someone as a clinic or something is registered? I say, well, look for this. You know, they register with the CQC. The clinic is the surgeon on the specialist register for plastic surgery. That's how you find out if someone's appropriately trained in an appropriate facility in the UK. I don't know what the equivalent is in Prague or Cuba or Turkey or wherever you choose to go overseas. So that's one issue. Um, and the other issue is if you have problems, I hear about people all the time and I see people who've had problems um, with their surgery and and it's really painful because they, they're, they're very shortly post-op and I'm like, this is the surgeon's responsibility. It's very hard to get a surgeon in this country to look after you if you're in the early post-operative period and you've got a problem. And it's it sounds awful, but, you know, if you've got a problem, it's the responsibility of that surgeon. And, and sometimes you hear, I'm not saying it always happens. I mean, obviously, we have a self-selected group of people. There are probably are people who are looked after very well. But sometimes you hear people who are not, not being looked after very well and get told to go and see their GP, get told to go on A&E. Now, obviously, if they've got a life-threatening, significant problem, the A&E and the NHS will help you. Not ideal. Uh, but, you know, they will help you. But if it's not 
like a significant problem if you've got a bit of a seroma if you've got a bit of asymmetry if you've got a bit of a wound healing problem you know the the, the it's difficult because really that's your surgeon who should be looking after that and if they're not haven't got processes in place to look after you here then i would be a bit concerned about what would happen if i had an issue if i had a concern you know really you need to be look having a good communication a good line of communication with your surgeon to make sure everything heals up as i say the aftercare is as important as the surgery in my view and sometimes it appears that people have not really looked after properly and they just you know they're doing the operation and then boom next one you know a lot of my week is seeing patients i'm not operating all the time i'm seeing a lot of patients and so i have to charge a certain amount of money when i do surgery because i'm not doing surgery that often if i was doing surgery all day every day you know for a week i could charge less because i'd still earn the same but then i wouldn't be able to look after my patients properly so you know, is that, I'm not saying that is, but is that a bit of big business model of some places where the surgeons are operating all the time and they're not really looking after their patients? And I, you know, I worked for a clinic many years ago uh, when I first started and it was a bit like that. They they didn't really want me to see my post-ops. They just wanted me to operate and I wanted to see my post-ops. They're like, no, 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 I'll see them, it's fine. And I'm like, I want to see my post-ops. Um, and you kind of start from a business point of view, you want the surgeon to be operating, you know, you don't want them to be looking at, you know, the nurse can look at the post-ops, but from a looking after the patient point of view, it's quite nice if a patient sees the surgeon afterwards and says, well, that looks all right, it look all right, let's see if you can fix that. So that's what I try and do. And if you're going to get that elsewhere, whether it be in the UK or abroad, then go, go to those places. And, you know, I totally understand if you're, I normally say that, it is a lot cheaper overseas. I know that. You can't be competitive on price and service. You have to choose. You know, it's impossible. You can't have a great service, great aftercare, great this, and really cheap price. It's like anything in the world, you know. There are th some people who are very sensitive on price. Then they're fine. Then, you know, look for the best price and you'll get the best, you'll get a better price elsewhere. But there will be you know other people who are looking at other who are more sensitive about other things and so you know as a as a surgeon sort of running a business i guess you have to decide where you want to be whether you want to be competing on price or whether you want to be competing on service and aftercare and i'm the service and aftercare guy um sorry i like i talk about it i like you know this isn't been my life really but um right what we got K babes is asked, but also K babes, uh, hold that thought because what we've got, Saxender, what have we got? My weight, here we go. Sit on my weight, please, 11 to 12 stones. So I guess surgery can't happen for me then. Um, where would, what's your BMI, Sidani? What's your kilograms and meter squared? Um, but you know, it is tough when you, when you've got a high BMI, it is tough, Sidani. I'll, I'll give you that. And the other thing I'd say to you, if you do have surgery with a high BMI, you're still going to be big person it's just we just if it's something was tummy tuck we're talking about uh, you know you just get rid of that apron and you do get a better result if you can get a lower weight but i completely understand that you're struggling with it and you're not alone there's a lot of people in your position it's a it's a tricky area sarah has got a question also if you have sensitive skin or eczema what would be a solution to washing before surgery if you normally have to use moisturizer but no not to um it's difficult because you moisturizer is fine. The problem with using moisturizer, if you're using moisturizer on the area that we are operating on, is it the pen doesn't work very well, and it like rubs off. We always draw on you the marker pen, so um, that is 
an issue. So, but we don't want you having broken skin. So we've got to balance it up. To be honest with you, if you've got sensitive skin or eczema to the extent that you, you need to use moisturizer on the day of surgery you know, regularly on the area that we're operating on, I'd be a bit worried about operating on the area if the area is really badly affected with, uh, with eczema. So this is something you need to discuss at the, so with your surgeon. We have a look at your eczema and, and you know, make a decision on, on that. Um, but in general terms, moisturizer is okay. You just don't want it really oily when you do the surgery because the pain just doesn't work at all. Um, Khan, big companies fly in, fly out surgeons. I run a big surgery group and we say avoid the big companies. Khan, there you go. That's what Khan says. Weight loss medication. Thanks, Bev. <laughs> I Googled it by the time I got your message. Thank you. Oh, okay, Sarah. It's a weight loss injection that helps control appetite. Okay, there you go. Injection, right? Okay, thank you. Um, Sarah, you can stay on it for life, supposedly, after you've dropped as much as you can. It's aimed at those with PCOS or diabetics, etc. Oh, well, I'm, sh I'm sure it'll be all right then, Sarah. I think it'll be fine, but we'd talk with this, the, the uh, anesthetist. Lorena, double hand clap. Nice to see you. Nice profile pic, Lorena. I'm not sure about those genes, though. Uh, Bev agrees with that. So good look at that. Me and Bev, we're in agreement. Um, what have we got here? K-Babes. Nice plug, K-Babes. I had a tummy tuck in March with a different surgeon and not 100% happy. I'd like a second opinion. Is this something you would do? I've been left with a little ledge above my scar. Number one thing, K-Babes, always treat to stick with your surgeon. Little ledge thing above your scar in March through the third month till the 11 month is seven months. Yeah, I mean, like, first thing I'd say to K-Babes, about a, at least a year before considering anything. Um, number one thing. Number two thing, always best to stick with your surgeon. The reason I always go on about sticking with your original surgeon is if your original surgeon's got a vested interest to get it right, they don't want you going out saying, oh, rubbish that surgeon they left me a ledge so in my view you're better off doing a bit of a revision to make the person happy so they don't go and say you're a terrible surgeon and also it's good practice to have you know to do things right um and so they well i won't want to speak to them but they often don't charge or you know really if it's a, if it's a revision if there's a bit of a thing the the and and it's always difficult okay babes with tummy tucks because we don't want them all to we don't want the wound to break down we don't want it to not heal properly so we don't want to close it so tight that it opens up again when every time you when you cough or when you move but at the same time if you don't close it tight enough you get this ledge also the scar might be a bit tethered in accentuating the ledge now you have to let that scar soften that's why i'm saying a year um but it sounds like it might be a relatively easy revision Famous last words, little ledge above the scar, re relatively simple. If you want, K-Babes, you can always send us a photo and I can give you an opinion. But I do always say stick with your original surgeon. Revision surgery is difficult. It's always hard treat taking on someone else's work and what have you. And, and your surgeon has got a vested interest, as I say, to get it right. But K-Babes, send me a photo and I'll, and I'll have a look and I'll give you an opinion. Um, to see what can be done but i'll tell you now a year is probably what you're looking at but maybe that's what you're looking at now because probably we redo it but to get it all settled but sorry here you're not happy but maybe you know if that scar is not so tethered and you know your weight maybe i don't know what's happening with your weight that's the other thing you know often when you have surgery you don't do as much as you did before and you put on a bit of weight and that can help that you know accentuate this problem so maybe if you're getting a bit more active now if you're recovering from the surgery that might help 
these are all things that I'll be thinking about. Vian Her VSG, thank you for your candor. If I were to commit to arms breast and TT 360 FDL, are these fixed costs or could there be a discussion? Oh, you asked for a discount. Sorry, you did ask that. There could be a discussion, Vian Her VSG. So first of all, um, I kind of don't do discounts because you can't do discounts. If you're a BARPS member, you can't do discounts. So one thing I look say to look for is BARPS, BAAPS, BARPS and BAPRAS. Those are the Plastic Surgery Association. So we're not allowed to do discounts. Having said that, <laughs> having, having, in the same breath, there is a there is a discount when you have more than one surgery simply because of economy of scale. So it's 80% of the cheaper procedure. I'm not, you know, fully trans. It's not like, you know, wheeler dealer where there's no wheeler dealing. The, the price is the price. But if you look at the price of whatever arm, um, arm lift, say, and a breast, whatever lift, um, if you get the price of those two, 80% of the cheaper procedure, you know, there's 20% discount of the cheaper procedure if you have two procedures done together. So there is a discount for two things done together. Um, three things done together, I think, uh, tell me, through, I'm not sure about a 360 FDL. What's a 360 to FDL? So a 360 is a circumferential, FDL is with an inverted T. I wouldn't do a circumferential and a fleur de lis. So I wouldn't do a fleur de lis, I wouldn't do a 360 fleur de lis. I've not really heard of that before, but um, I do a 360 or a fleur de lis. So um, not sure what a 360 FDL is, unless it's 360 liposuction. Anyway, um, but I wouldn't, and I also wouldn't do arms, breast, and 360 or a, a fleur de lis. That's quite a lot to have in one go. I'd probably look at two. So maybe arms and breast in one, and then tummy in another, or tummy and breast. But um yeah always discuss but there is a discount for more than one procedure but as i say it's, that's what it is 20 percent of the cheaper procedure i've spoken with him and he's suggesting it's just fat and i either have to pay another three thousand for lipo with i'm not happy with okay orcs that's a bit orcs okay babes um okay um right okay thanks really so um yes well that's that's awkward um i mean i don't know what to say k babes that's that's not great is it it's not very service as i say anyway you can send me a photo and i'll have a look if you want um it's difficult probably if i did liposuction it'd probably be more than three thousand i think um but that's i guess it's different business models k babes because um yeah hmm. uh oops okay thanks we'll do ah uh, i'm not looking for three surgeries at the same time okay 360 ftl they would do offshore oh would they okay they do them offshore do they, <laughs> they do so fdl and all the way around i mean the point anyway i okay i'll take take your word for it i, I wouldn't do a 360 fdl not not heard of that but um yeah there you go um can you do a lift and reduction without implants absolutely yes of course you can so reduction a lift is actually part of a reduction so a, a lift and a reduction is is one operation is an operation so it's it's a reduction basically when you do a reduction you have to reduce the skin envelope so you have to do a lift at the same time so um you can that's completely reasonable if what I normally say is that the problem with your breast is either size or shape or both. 
So if it's size, they're either too big or too small. If it's shape, they're droopy. So if they are too big, then implants make them bigger, but they don't do much to the shape. If they're droopy, then it's a lift that you need. If they're too big, then it's a reduction to make them smaller, but that will also um, lift them. I'm not saying this very well. <laughs> I need an algorithm like my lift with implants. I had a lift with implants one, didn't I? So basically, so if they're too big and the shape's not right, that's a breast reduction. That's it. Not implants. Implants are if they're too small. So um, so you absolutely can have a lift of reduction without implants is the bottom line. If that's that's a breast reduction. Perfectly, perfectly good thing to do if your breasts are too big and too the shape's not right, too droopy. That is a reduction. Um, do we remove Barfalin duct cysts? No, I think this might be that I have been Billy Big Time going on about all the cysts that we remove in all the places. Um, and then someone comes back and says, well, Barfalin duct So no. So Barfalin duct cysts would be a gynecologist who would do that. So in that's a gynecological uh that's a gynecological issue. So we would not uh, remove a Barfalin duct cyst, but we remove lots of other cysts in lots of other places. Um, come in then. Um, you're making sense. Thank God for that. I'm making sense to you, Ian. Hurry, VSG. Thank you. Doing my best here. Here we go. What's Junie got? What these girls don't realize is that some surgeons abroad, and especially in Turkey, try to get you to have as much surgery and get you to okay as much as possible as they know once they have operated on you once you won't be back so they get you to spend as much as possible first time round. very unsafe and the reason there are so many deaths for surgery in turkey strong words from junie there strong it's junie i don't know what to say um i don't know okay yeah i mean there does they, 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 you do hear reports of bad things but i'm sure there must be good ones presumably you would presume but um and you do hear a lot of problems so junie is saying that to be in her vsg they all get you to have lots more surgery okay mm. thanks junie it's a long type you type that in what if she spoke that in what did you type it all in um, why does the areola stretch again after having an areola reduction? So basically, this is a problem with areola reduction, that uh, recurrence, it can stretch again. So areola is the bit around the nipple, if you're not, not, not don't know what it is. It's the pigmented area, the pigmented skin around the nipple, and you can reduce it. And the it is, it is an, a known issue with areola reduction. And the, basically, there's two... Uh, types of stitch you can use to reduce it a dissolvable and non-dissolvable so you put a deep stitch uh, underneath the skin to 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 hold it closed and you can either use a non-dissolvable or a dissolvable suture so personally i use a it can recur with both so not, not like anything in life there is no perfect answer but i use a non-dissolvable suture so i use a permanent suture um, which is a nylon suture, it will never dissolve, it will be there for the rest of your life. And um, I use that to reduce the risk of recurrence, for the reduce the risk of it stretching again afterwards. And um, 
having said that, it relies on the knot that I make. So if the knot that I make goes, if it, if it uh, unties, basically, it will re recur, recur. So if you're using a permanent suture, there is a risk that I had, and, you know, it has happened to me, I'm, I'm uh, sad to say, that um, because when you make a knot, you do what's called throws of a knot. You know, like when you tie your shoelaces, you do like, like that, that's a throw. And the more throws, hi Tracy, the more throws you do, the bigger the knot is. And so, um, but the more throws you do, the more secure the knot is, because you do opposite throws. Like that. Uh, <laughs> um, so you want to do enough throws to make the knot not, the knot not unknot, right? But you don't want to too many throws, the knot's really big, because then you think, what's that? I can feel there. Because if you can feel the knot, you'll always be able to feel the knot because it's a permanent suture. So you've got to try and bury the knot and try not to make the knot too big. So you don't want to put too many throws on it, but you want to put enough throws on it that it won't untangle. So basically, that's an issue with using a permanent suture. You There's a risk of being able to feel the suture. There's a risk of being able to feel the knot. And if so we try not to make the knot too big and bury it but if you don't make the knot big enough if you don't you know tie it robustly enough it can untie and recur so that's a risk if you're using a permanent suture but in my view it's uh, more less of a risk with a permanent suture than a dissolvable suture because the risk with the dissolvable suture is that when the suture dissolves the tension of the wound because often an area reduction can be under quite a lot of tension it's a big circle goes to a small circle and um, it can it can be under a lot of tension so if that dissolvable suture isn't holding it closed for long enough to allow it to scar down once it dissolves it can the tension can pull it out again so there's a risk of recurrence with either type with a dissolvable one when the dissolved stitch dissolves or with a permanent one if this knot goes so that's why it can stretch again after having an area reduction area reduction the bottom line that you need to know if, you, if you're having an area reduction there's a risk of it stretching and then if it stretches that's fine we can just do it again but it's it's a pro it can be a problem Shiv on YouTube, loving it, getting the YouTube people in. Shiv, good to see you. I'm going to have a tummy tuck soon. I also have a mesh from an umbilical hernia, which I think causes my pain when I have a period. Would the pain improve after a tummy tuck? Thank you. Um, Shiv, I would say to you, number one, talk to your surgeon. You're always best talking to your surgeon because whatever I say doesn't hold because it's up to your surgeon to, you know, know what they're going to do, know what they can hope to achieve. So I'm just going to tell you in general terms, Shiv, uh, in my view on this, the um, mesh do sometimes cause pain and the mesh, by the way they work, become integrated with your tissues. And if you have quite a, a large hanging apron, it could be pulling on that mesh, causing your pain. And so taking that apron off might well help your pain having said that i couldn't guarantee it if it was me i couldn't guarantee it because it might not be due to pulling it might be due to some nerves in the area or something else causing the pain um but it would not be unreasonable to say that a byproduct of the surgery might be that your pain will get better if you're purely having the surgery to make the pain better i would be concerned that it you know i'd say look it might not make your pain better now, you might say, look, I want to get rid of this. And if it makes the pain better, happy days, in which case, great. But if you might say, well, I'm not having a surgery unless it's definitely going to make the pain better. I'd be like, well, 
I couldn't guarantee that, so maybe you don't have the surgery. So um, I would say it may well make the pain better because that apron might be pulling on the mesh and causing the discomfort. Uh, probably have to see you really to see if you got if you have got a big hanging apron or if you haven't got that much of an apron. You know, if you if you if you haven't got that much of an apron, then less maybe less likely. But um, couldn't guarantee it, but might is the answer to that. I hope that's reasonable uh reasonable response uh via her vsg what you got i already had muscle repair surgery would this influence the tummy tuck cost how do you work payment of surgery in full deposit etc no it wouldn't affect the cost uh via her vsg uh, muscle repair is an integral part of the tummy tuck and it you you don't charge extra for it and similarly you wouldn't charge less if you didn't have it so it's sort of like not costed in uh, for the tummy tuck it's uh it's not less if you if you don't have it uh, and it's not more if you do have it um how do you pay payment payments i think well 500 pounds this is how i do it 500 pound deposit to secure the date and then it's full payment before which i think is 10 days i think 10 working days two weeks something like that how do you work payment in full yes so in full prior to surgery do you offer financial options no um I can't keep track of this. I've got to be honest with you, Alexandra. I the hospital you I may do. I don't know if the hospital do. I think the problem with the hospitals is they actually maybe not so much at the moment because the interest rate's going up. But before the sort of high street banks and cart credit cards and lenders and all that were so competitive, the hospital couldn't compete with them. So, but I they I don't know is the answer if they do it. We don't, but the hospitals sometimes do. But I'm not sure if they do or not really but uh either way you you um i don't know what it's like in the moment but you used to be able to get really good rates of um interest because of the interest rate so so yeah high street lender is often the way uh shiv thank you so much yes it's a big apron well in that case fingers crossed that might well help um ashley what you got off topic but would you preform surgery on an epileptic well, I don't know what preforming is, uh, Ashley. Um, absolutely, Ashley. Yes, absolutely. Epilepsy is no problem at all for having surgery. Epilepsy is a common condition and is not a contraindication for surgery. Um, like any condition, if you're in a bad way and you've got, you know, you know, having a lot of fits at the moment and your medication's being changed and they're trying to work out the right, you know, the right dose or what have you then we probably wouldn't have surgery if you're in a you know fluctuant stage but if you've got a stable condition like epilepsy um then that would be fine to have surgery that wouldn't contraindicate surgery unless it's some kind of type of not really i've never seen anyone with the type of epilepsy that would um um that we wouldn't do surgery so in, on paper yes we would preform surgery on an epileptic Ashley, absolutely. Um, what do we got? My cyst is red and painful. Do you do drainage? No, we don't. We've had two of these today. Two painful red cysts. Um, uh, no, we don't do drainage. So when it we we do remove cysts, and as I've said previously, we remove cysts from all part of the body except Bartholin cysts, <laughs> and except maybe little eye eyelid ones. Um, but. Um, if your cyst is sort of rapidly growing, red, uncomfortable, that suggests it's infected. And you wouldn't want to do surgery on an infected 
area because the wound would get infected. When you take take a cyst out, cyst out, you take you make a wound, you make an incision, you make a scar, and you don't really want that to get infected because that's not going to be good. So you would only take a cyst out when it was quiet, not causing any problems. So you 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 might need drainage for an infected cyst. You might need antibiotics, but that wouldn't be us. That wouldn't be plastic surgeons. That's usually GP. If it was a really bad one, you might have to go and see a general surgeon. But um, we don't really get into sort of drainage and treat, treat, treatment of infected cysts. That would be more of a sort of emergency care for it. And then once it's all settled and you're left with a bump where these behind the ear, I think it was one of them all was here on the face. Um, once it's all settled and the cyst has calmed down again and the skin looks normal and it's not painful and it's not red, then we would get involved and, and uh, think about removing it for you. So... Um, not much help when it's an acutely swollen tender cyst, unfortunately. Sorry about the smelling water current. Not at all, actually. I did completely understand what it was uh, you were saying. Uh, Preform. Um, v and her VSG, what you got? I've had weight loss surgery and have approximately 28 pounds to lose before proceeding with breast lift. Uh, sorry, breast stroke tummy tuck. But my arms are mainly skin. BMI at 30 currently. Would you be happy to do an arm lift? As I said earlier, V and her VSG. If you want to lose weight, you will get a better result if you wait until you finish losing weight. So, and, and I would say that to you. So, you know, that's why I don't have a set BMI. Because if you say the BMI that I have a bit of BMI 30 is my cutoff, and I'll only do surgery on people who are below BMI, then someone says, oh, my BMI is 30. Will you do surgery? I'm like, well, no, because you want to lose weight. And the reason I say that, being her VSG, is because the reason you need an arm lift is because you're putting on weight has stretched the skin of your arm and then losing weight, the fat has gone, but the skin hasn't and you've been left with a redundant skin. If you, if I do a surgery today, I'll make it as tight as I can. If you go on and lose weight, you might lose a little bit more volume in your arm and might have a bit of redundant skin. So you're better off. So, so basically don't lose weight after surgery, you know, get your weight right first. It might make your arms worse, but that's fine because I can make them tighter. So you want to lose as much weight as you can and get to your ideal stable weight before having surgery. So I completely understand you saying, oh, my BMI is 30. I can qualify for surgery now. I'm like, well, actually, if you're still losing weight, you're better off losing as much as you can because you're going to get a better result. Your weight's going to be less. Your, your complications are still going to be less. Nothing magical happens at 30. It's not like BMI below 30, you get no complications. And above 30, you get loads of complications. It's a, you know, it's a spectrum. And basically, the lower your weight, the less your risk of complications, the higher your weight, the higher the risk. So if you can continue to get lower, you're going to get a better result if you can wait. So my advice to you would be to wait until your weight is right before having surgery. So that's what I would say to you in a discussion. You're, well, that's why I, I have just said it. There you go. So, yeah, um, you're best off losing first. And I know it's frustrating because you've got a lot of surgery you get done and you want to get it done and all that. But you want to get the best result you possibly can. And it'd be really annoying if you had a surgery now and you were left with a bit of redundant skin there. Sounds a bit strange, but can you pay the deposit for the surgery to secure the date and then have the consultation after as I can't afford both until I'm paid? Pay the deposit for surgery to secure the date and then have the consultation... Do you mean not pay for the consultation or not? I mean, in principle, you can pay for the surgery. People do do that. People do pay for the surgery before the consultation. I always at least pay a deposit for surgery. And I can, I can, I, I find it a bit weird, to be honest, if someone sort of secured a date for surgery before they even see me, 
um but some people like know what they want don't they um and so it's it, it is done it is done and you can do it and if we can't if i can't do the surgery i'm like oh god not to operate on you then you know you can't we will give you the money back but uh, yeah exactly as you said it was set on a specific day as a teacher have to work that that's and i think having said that i think it's a bit weird I understand that a lot of people have schedules like teachers and things like that and holidays and what have you. So they have specific dates they want to sort of um, secure. So I can, I, I actually can understand why they do it. So in answer to your question, Alexandra, yes, you can. You can make a deposit. And if for any reason, if it's me or if it's you, if you come and say, hold on a minute, I don't like that guy. He's a bit whatever. <laughs> um, you we will give you a deposit back. So there's no problem with that. So or if you can't make the date or if it's like, actually, you know what? He's told me I've got to lose weight first or something like that. So you can absolutely, Alexandra, you can pay the deposit for the date if you want to secure that and um, and see how it goes. Um, BNOVSG, thank you. I really appreciate your honesty. You've ch ch changed my thought process around the surgeries planned. I like you. I want to like my surgeon. I may be in touch early next year. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll be here. BNOVSG, well, actually not here because this is my house, but I'll be in my clinic uh early next year well i'll be yeah good well i look forward to seeing you and thank you for your participation and your uh, input very very gratefully appreciated as is everybody's here um well on that note i will see you next year maybe possibly and i will check out here but next tuesday i will almost certainly be here again doing this same same slash similar sort of setup uh so if you want any questions do ask away and i will do my level best to answer them but uh, for now i understand it's the final bake-off i've been reliably informed and um, so i suggest you go and put your feet up and uh, have a cup of tea and i will see you same time same place i'm going to stop this stream before it's too late have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.